Hello and welcome back to the Two Button Crew podcast. I am your host, Glenn, and I am joined once again by honorary crew member Nathan Blake of Nathan Blake Games. Howdy ho, everyone. How are you doing today? And today we're here to talk about Splatoon 3, Nintendo's, uh, I don't know, is it their most recent multiplayer online game? It's It's been a little while since it's come out. <laughs> yeah, I think it still probably is, at the very least, well, really, when you think about it, other than, like, Smash, it's probably their only real franchise that is specifically for multiplayer, like, online multiplayer. Hmm. All right. Well, as is tradition here on the Two Bunting Crew podcast, the first time we discuss uh, a, a game in a series, uh, in this case, the first time we were discussing Splatoon, we talk about our uh, history with the franchise. So, uh, Nathaniel, what is your history with Splatoon? Uh, it's it's fairly small, honestly. Um, whenever Splatoon 1 came out, I didn't have access to it in any way. Um, I believe that was a Wii U game, was it? Correct. So, yeah, I didn't have the Wii U until well after the lifespan of Splatoon 1 had come and gone. Uh, and in that time period when I did play online multiplayer shooters, it was mostly Halo with my group of friends at the time. So um, I, when Splatoon 2 came out, I didn't get a real chance to mess with it until very, very late into its lifetime. But uh, I did find a copy for like 30 bucks on clearance at Walmart and just messed around just a tiny bit with it. Not much, but got to have a little bit of fun with it. And uh, so I was, uh, yeah pretty pumped to get into Splatoon 3 as Splatoon 3 actually launched so that I could actually experience it as I was supposed to. Yeah, so my history with Splatoon is a little bit uh, more expansive. So I um, I played the first Splatoon and I got pretty into it. And I remember seeing the Nintendo Direct, gosh, it was like 2015 or was it? Maybe it was 2014 when it was first announced. And thinking, oh, wow, this is actually a really interesting, cool idea. And we were so starved for content for on the uh, the Wii U at that point. That, you know, any any new, like a new franchise, any new game, much less a new franchise, was exciting. But um, I played the first one. I put a lot of time into it. I think I got to, like, um, B- minus in ranked mode and around level 20 or something. Then Splatoon 2 came out for the um, the Switch, and I, I was in a point in my life where I just didn't have a ton of time on my hands. So I bought it, and then like several months later, I played through the story mode, did some multiplayer, basically walked away from it for periods of like six months at a time, and played the Octo expansion, walked away from it again, and I, I played the Octo Expansion like years after it came out. And it, it wasn't until Splatoon, like I think the, the bulk of my multiplayer time in Splatoon 2 was in preparation for Splatoon 3. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so um, I've, I've been a Splatoon fan since the beginning, but unfortunately like um, for Splatoon 2, I, I largely missed that. I think I maybe like participated in one Splatfest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I, I, I'm glad to finally uh, be able to get back into the, the series, uh, you know, properly get back into it and kind of see the game as it's, as it's being updated and stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. 
let's talk about Splatoon. Let's talk about what what the game uh, the gameplay and what makes it unique compared to other multiplayer shooters. So Splatoon is is unique compared if you've never played it's unique compared to other multiplayer shooters in that it's a largely about controlling territory. Um, the the basic mode is called Turf Wars, and so you you fire, and you know it, it's kind of the perfect shooter for Nintendo because it's it's kind of like paintball. It's not actual guts and guns and stuff. It's uh, it's shooting ink, and then you uh, the the team that has more ink on their side of the map uh, by the end of the the match wins. Yeah, you can absolutely uh, see how this could have been just like a mini game in Mario Party or something. You know, it's a it's very much got that feel of like covering. A, there's multiple mini games in Mario Party that have that sort of like cover the most turf. Um, maybe you can stun your opponents or something, but really it's about covering covering the ground and stuff like that. And they they just took that idea and they just completely expanded it into an entire game, which is actually really cool. Yeah, and so the the cool thing is um, the the characters are they're you know they're both humanoid, they're both kids, but they're also squids, and they can trans transform between the two. So not only is it um, your goal to cover the most of the map, it's also covering the map also helps you move around because you can move faster when you're swimming through the ink as a squid, and you know that's that and you move slower through enemies' ink. So it's this really interesting game of like that. You know, it's not just charging in and trying to get as much territory. You also have to really uh, consider, okay, am I overextending? Is my ability to escape going to be cut off? Because, you know, when when I get stuck in the opponent's ink, that's usually when I get killed or splatted, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that, there's definitely... Uh, the, the way movement works in the game really does uh, make it completely different from any other first-person or third-person multiplayer shooter because... Yeah, like, instead of, like, a lot of games, there is, like, a loadout and stuff like that. But instead of in a lot of games where you, like, have somebody who's, like, a designated, you know, uh, tank or a designated healer or whatever, um, you're kind of able to do a lot of the same things, but it's all based around the whole, like, spreading ink, moving through the ink sort of thing. Because there's, like, definite utility in being, like, really good at taking ground or really good at splatting opponents or really good at moving and 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 uh you know like getting around places and stuff and it's just really truly unique comparatively because of how movement works to pretty much every other shooter because pretty much every other one is like at best you can sprint or use some sort of like glider or something whereas in this it's like you're like creating pathways in the ground and then swimming through them and then like you can even like put ink on the side of a wall and go up the wall which is something that is just completely weird <laughs> yeah it's um yeah and this the this game actually adds some new options like you can do a uh, squid roll if you uh, go in one direction then flick the stick in another direction and jump as a squid you'll you'll do like a kind of it's kind of like a barrel roll in Star Fox it like wards off some damage when you do it um and I never use it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I don't think I even knew that that was a thing that you could do they may have 
in one of the later levels of the campaign gone over that and I might have missed it. I'm I don't not believe sure. they do. It's one okay. of those things that if you watch the trailers and the presentations, you'd know about it. But it's and like maybe have Judd tell you if you talk to Judd in the, the lobby. But um, yeah, it doesn't really get a whole lot of attention. I don't see people doing it online. Um, so it's not part of the meta. <laughs> I think it is like the high level meta, but um, yeah, no, it's it's not something that the average player does. Yeah. So, but yeah, the um, the the focus on movement is, is really really interesting in this game. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me, uh, you know, in the mid. 2010s there was a handful of games that started coming out that were like very parkour based uh, yeah like it, uh what was that one about the robots titanfall had a yeah, parkour system exactly yeah so eventually we got to titanfall which was a online multiplayer first person shooter with parkour and there's kind of a little bit of that dna in it because like there is like the ability to do things that are like almost like wall runs and stuff but it's just completely unique comparatively even to that because it's just it's just really different. Um, and then, of course, the the way that the different guns in the game allow you to, like, completely alter how you're able to take territory and how easy it is for you to go up walls and stuff, like, completely changes everything. Yeah, and that's to say nothing of, like, uh, the fact that there's also um, the super jump that you can use to teleport to. Uh, effectively, it's teleport, you know, jump to allies or back to your base. Um yeah, kind of like a, almost like a fast travel, but it's like in the middle of combat. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of those things where uh, I don't use it very much because it's actually hugely risky. Because you you have this little everyone can see that someone's going to jump there, so you're if you're doing it to the front lines, you're going to get sniped. Yeah, which is something I did not realize when we were playing together at first for a long time was that it like literally telegraphed exactly where I was going to land. I was like, I get that the guy I jumped to was in a fight, but I don't understand how they're just like, new person, kill him instantly. Uh, and now I know is, well, now, I mean, after we played for like a while, I became aware that it like literally paints a target on your back when you land. <laughs> yeah, so I, I usually try to check the map and try to figure out, okay, are there is this guy in a fight and is he close to where I want to be? So it's it's a very situational ability. Um also like being able to turn into a squid has like kind of stealth implications because you um if you're not moving too fast, if you just tilt the stick a little bit, you don't the enemies can't see you swimming through the ink. So yeah, it really does actually allow like a whole nother aspect of, of sneaking, essentially, which is really interesting because there's not really a good way in most uh, online multiplayer uh, games to allow for stealth, um, really. I mean, occasionally a game will have some sort of like cloaking ability that's like kind of shimmery or something, so it's just hard to see you, mm -hmm. uh, and they use it as like a power-up or something. Um, but by and large, like games rely on like, you know, like die rolls and stuff to decide if you can be seen by enemies or cones of vision and stuff like that. And so for this to actually just make it where, no, it is legit hard to see someone sometimes when they are in the ground in a blob of ink, just barely moving. <laughs> and of course, being a third person shooter, shooting is a massive part of this. So... The game has several weapons for uh, for players to choose from, and 
you know, that cover a wide variety of play styles and, and the like. And some of them are like really, really specific and nuanced. Like it's, you know, it started that Splatoon started out really basic with its weapons. It started out with shooters, which are just kind of your automatic weapons. You hold down the trigger and it, you know, shoots out a, a uh, different little globs of ink. You had chargers, which were kind of like your, your rifles. You know, sniper rifles and the like that you charge up and then you can do a lot of damage to one enemy when you hit them. And you had paint rollers, which were uh, not really analogous to any real world weapon, obviously, but you just cover a lot of area and you get close to enemies and then you can run them over. Yeah, I mean, they were supposed to be obviously like the melee weapon of the mm -hmm. game back then. Yeah, it, it's basically your melee uh, build and... They've, they've added more over time. They added um, splatling guns, which are kind of a cross between a shooter and a charger. Uh, you charge it up and then it fires a rapid stream of uh, ink. There's the splatbrellas, which are like a shotgun, but you can, with a shield attached to the front, so if you hold it open, you can um, absorb incoming fire. Uh, what else? I think the dualies. The dualies? Yes, yes, the dualies. How could I forget the dualies, which are like shooters, but you also get a dodge roll. Like, they're they're one of those things where when I first saw them, I'm like, why, this, why is this its own thing? But they, they do have a different play style. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the way they, they actually shoot, like, twice as fast after you've rolled as well. So it, like, mm -hmm. creates a weird, like, meta around them. Yeah, and then I'm... Trying to remember if I'm forgetting any. I think brushes in Splatoon 3 have been recategorized as their own weapon. The brushes originally mm -hmm. were considered a type of splat roller, but I think they're now their own weapon. And they're kind of like splat rollers, but they, instead of like a single ink fling, you can rapidly swing them back and forth. Right. And then there's the splatanas, obviously. Yeah. And the new in Splatoon 3 are splatanas and stringers. And stringers are bows that shoot arrows that explode and splatanas are basically my guess is what happened was because rollers and brush like i remember when i first saw brushes when those were first introduced into the game i looked at it and said oh that's your katana like instead of a katana that you get a paintbrush that you know like a calligraphy brush you know there's and there's been sort of some I, i've heard some people kind of opine about how calligraphy and uh you know, like Iaido or uh, Kenjutsu or similar to one another. Right. You know, some kind of uh, philosophizing of that sort. But so I thought, okay, that's meant to be the stand-in for a katana. And my guess is that the fan base just said, not good enough. I want katana. <laughs> right, yeah. Because, I mean, the brush uh, definitely does have like a katana feel whenever you're going like, full full swing on it you're just tapping and he's just you know just going all ham with it uh but it doesn't have like a precision attack to it exactly and mm -hmm. it, it feels like a katana should have like this like precise like very careful attack that you can do with it or something whereas it kind of it, it's the brush is between the roller and the splatana um, which is funny because the Splatana is, is created after the fact. But the, the brushes, you can also do the thing where you put them on the ground and run mm -hmm. around, and, and it's just a very small trail instead of a big, wide one. So the Splatana does weirdly create its whole a whole new, uh, you know, very precise way of using the weapon as opposed to the brushes, which are just like 
you know, you just kind of get up in something's face and tap the button, and he just goes. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but yeah, and then on top of all that, you have tons of um, special weapons and mm-hmm. um, secondary weapons. So you have all manner of grenades, and I can't even keep them all straight in my head. Like I, I'll be playing a match, and then someone will throw something at me, and it's like, what the heck is that? <laughs> right. Yeah, there's just a thousand different things, and the really cool part is because you can build your own loadout, and because everything uh, can is... Can you? Because the thing is, the, the secondaries and the specials are pre, uh, pre-assigned. Well, yes, but the uh, the gear to... Right, right. Like, you, so you, wear, you dress your whole character up in all the different gear, and that allows you to have, like, buffs to certain types of things, mm-hmm. like how quickly things recharge, or how much damage you take from certain things and stuff, and so you can, using that, plus the different weapons, plus the uh, secondaries, does allow you to create, like, your own sort of loadout, which is really, truly interesting, because, um, because combat and ground taking is the same because it's both done with the ink. Um, your every character is this weird support slash combat uh, sort of crossover, but then you can kind of try to use your gear and stuff to build yourself a little more towards the support side or a little more towards the the combat side. And it is really cool because um, if you enjoy, for instance, being the healer every time you play a a game then you're never really a healer in this game per se, but you can do the the support stuff all the time, and then you're still just as useful to your team and still even able to get kills here and there and stuff. Yeah, I, I would say the closest thing to a healer or someone who has the... Uh, there's The specials, the interesting thing about the specials is that they do... do um, they, they can really do a wide variety of things. So some of them are just like big gun that you use to, to target, <laughs> you know, uh, tar- particular enemies that are, you know, maybe um, high priority. But some of them are, um, you know, some of them ink a lot of ground. Some of them are good at splatting individuals. Some of them uh, bolster your maneuverability. Um, the And some of them are like support roles. So, you know, there's the one that, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's this little ball that, bounces up and down and causes a um, causes a shockwave. doesn't ink any yeah. area. It just basically is annoying to people who are trying, you know, you just throw it into like a, uh, a bottleneck and you, you have a lot more, people have to be a lot more cautious about that because they have to be mindful of those waves and jumping over them. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, the healer anal- uh, analogy What's analogous to being a healer is that it's really more buffing your team. Is there's the tacticaler, I think, is what it's called. It's um, and you can just hand out drinks to your friends. Yeah. If they they run by it, and that gives them a like a speed boost and an attack boost and a defense boost. So, yeah, you definitely depending on what kit you have, you can definitely pl- uh, fill different roles in this game. So, which which of the weapons uh, are your favorite? Which type? Um, I really like the the dual ones. I like the Splatanas still a whole lot. Um, I got to where I like a lot of the charging ones quite a bit um, while I played campaign. I don't know if I would be good at them in multiplayer, but I, I definitely did get to where I enjoyed like holding a charge and then swimming through the ink and then popping up and shooting something. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do with some of that. Yeah, my um. 
My favorite is definitely the Splatling guns. Because um, I, I like the shooters, but the thing is, I'm not very good under high-pressure situations where that require demand fast, um, fast reflexes. As you can probably tell by my tendency to pause and have to think about my word choice, I'm not someone that's very good at jumping headfirst into situations. So while I've somehow managed to get to be decent with shooters... Um, I'm a lot better with splatling guns because the the their role is more to you occupy like a high area and you survey the battlefield and then you provide suppressing fire. And so it's kind of like being a charger without the need for precision because that also require would require me to be really, really precise uh, quickly. so it's it's the sloppy man's uh, charger. <laughs> Right, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the things that I did get to where I, I really enjoyed. Probably some of the most fun I had in the entire campaign was a mission where uh, there was lots of uh, bad guys just, like, right around corners and stuff, and one of the weapons it let you use was the dual pistols, and... This time, I was just like, I'm going to get through this level as fast as I can, not, like, try to kill everything, not try to open every box, you know, those sorts of things that I've been doing before. I was just going to get point A to point B as quick as I could, and it just felt really good to just, like, do those dodge rolls around corners and just, like, nail guys and then keep going. Like, it was really dope. I really, yeah, really liked I, it. Yeah, you know, despite what I said, I actually do like the duelies, and I do like the shooters. The duelies are... Um are a lot of fun and having the dodge roll does make it easier to get in those head-to-head -head conflicts and if nothing else you just you just feel cool doing doing it until you eventually like because it costs a lot of ink you run out of ink and then you realize that you're stuck in the opponent's ink and you you know you're done screwed up <laughs> yep <laughs> so that's the basics of the gameplay and before we go into the individual modes uh I want to talk about the presentation because so much of Splatoon is its personality. Like, it's, it has a very strong kind of sense of identity uh, that it established, like, right from the beginning of that Nintendo, like, when it was first revealed in that E3 Nintendo Direct. And so, um, first of all is the, the character designs. You have the Inklings themselves, these kind of kids squid things and then you have a bunch of other sea creatures um and it's it's actually really interesting because they're th this is a world that has like kind of a multiplicity of different creatures inhabiting it it's kind of like spongebob squarepants in a way yeah no it definitely has a incredibly unique aesthetic to it as with most of nintendo's most successful ips it uh, started with what I can only imagine was some sort of fever dream uh, while somebody was on a lot of NyQuil because, you know, you've got Plumber eats uh, mushrooms and stomps on turtles. You've got, uh, you know... You, uh, oh, what was the other one that I was thinking? Oh, oh yeah, you've got uh, ten-year-old children that uh, catch animals and have them do dog fights. You've got space fox that flies airships through archways uh, because Miyamoto just thought that arches were fun. And then now you have squid children that uh, transform and cover things in ink, and everything is just so incredibly colorful and just over the top. It's, it's really, truly interesting, and all the characters, like you say, like they all have just a ton of personality just within their appearance, their hairstyle, and their clothing, and, and the way they react and stuff. Like Everyone looks 
pretty similar in a way, like with the general shape of of their face and stuff like that. Yet everyone is super unique because of how they kind of hold themselves and their general clothing style and stuff. It's, yeah, it's really cool. one of the things that I do find interesting about Splatoon is that ostensibly all the player characters are children. And it's something I've thought about. It's like, other than Captain Cuttlefish, we don't actually know what inkling adults... And there's some question as to whether Captain Cuttlefish is an inkling himself. But, you know, fan, you know, fan speculation aside, we don't actually know what inkling adults look like in this world. We never see them. Um, and yeah. Uh, the thing is, because this is a Japanese game and ja- Japanese um, media has this trope of making, like, elders shrink down to the side like you you shrink as you get older um i don't actually know how bit like what what would an inkling adult look like i'm not sure captain cuttlefish is indicative of that yeah i almost wonder if they're all like the exact same size and they just like the name of their you know, bipedal form is called a kid, even if they are, in fact, old enough that they wouldn't be a kid. I I don't know, because, yeah, I was noticing that, like, it refers to it as kid form uh, in multiple spots, and it's like, but these characters are clearly not children in, in many other ways, and some of them are old men with beards, like you say, so, like, what? I'm now just imagining is that just what they are? Like... with uh, smoking a cigarette with a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> Yeah, or or whenever you do try to think of the adult, if it doesn't look like that, it's like it's like twice the size and just like rippling yeah, biceps. I, I know some people like... are gonna get on me because I think there are some pictures of adults in the sunken sea scrolls, but that you know, it's one of those things where that actually oscillates between art styles, so it's not really clear how literal that's supposed to be yeah. to the world of Splatoon. Yeah, certainly, because there's even, like, a dried squid in there that just looks like a mm-hmm. real squid. Like, like just a straight-up regular squid. And obviously, we even see a dried-up squid at some point during the game, and it does not look like a straight-up real squid. So it's like, okay. Um, I mean, it looks more like a real one, obviously. But, like, not... That one was, like, photorealistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so another thing I, I want to... Before we, we move on to uh, something other than characters... I, I, something I want to point out is like the character design for the Inklings. It kind of has like this. It, it, it's interesting. They have sort of this this, this sort of soft shape language and uh, rendering that you would expect from kind of like a Pixar character. Like it looks kind of Western in a lot of ways. Um, and I've noticed that ever since Splatoon was successful, like a lot of Nintendo's new franchises feature a similar art style like um arms had an art style that was kind of like mm. that and then the new uh wii sports for switch i forget what the subtitle is uh no it's switch sports <laughs> wii sports for switch oh gosh that was a Freudian slip <laughs> uh switch nintendo yeah. switch sports yeah, or something, something like, like that. that right yeah, but yeah, there's definitely been this kind of slightly more move towards uh, these like very colorful round characters. Although you see it in you've seen it in Pokemon for a while as well, and I don't remember if that seemed to have started around the time of Splatoon One or not. But I do remember, especially from Diamond and Pearl onward, like even the Pokemon themselves became a lot more round and a lot less pointy. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so that's just an interesting thing I've noticed. Is like Nintendo is just like, well, people like the the Inkling, so we're going to do this style. And I'm, while I love the art style of Splatoon and the design of the Inklings and all of that, um, I'm not sure how I feel about Nintendo using it for. Um, or using a similar art style for games like uh, ARMS or um, Switch Sports or any, anything like that or any future projects. It just it seems a little bit too homogenous for Nintendo to just say, this is the art style we're using from here on out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that uh, one of Nintendo's strong suits, honestly, is that all of their first-party stuff has a very unique look to it. Um, you know, you see something Mario and you know it's Mario. You see Zelda stuff, you know it's Zelda stuff. Even though Zelda has gone through like three or four different like general art styles. Um, and then like Splatoon was kind of the epitome of that where it was just like, okay, here we go. Like this is the most unique looking and feeling game that they've almost ever made pretty much. And then now, yeah, the last little chunk of time, it seems like everything's kind of uh, just kind of rolled into a one. It doesn't really seem like they're trying for unique appearance to things anymore. It seems like everything kind of has a similar homogenous look to it. Uh, and like you say, it kind of feels like it's loosely inspired by the, the Splatoon stuff, but not near as inspired as the Splatoon stuff is because the Splatoon stuff, each character is very unique and very cool and stuff. Whereas uh, a lot of the characters in arms, like they, very very well might as well be interchangeable with each other i know they did have unique designs but they were just forgettable unique designs and so i i think that had something to do with the failure of arms was that it just it never really made itself out to be anything that you should pay attention to or care about it was just like yeah hey, here's a game it's it's boxing on the switch there you go yeah. um so moving on from character design there's the world itself and um, you know, the world of Splatoon, especially Splatoon 3, is kind of interesting because um, Splatoon 1 had a very colorful kind of um, like urban Tokyo vibe to it. And Splatoon 3 has a much grittier um, sort, of a, sort of a feel. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of grime and a lot of rust and stuff on things. And and boy, there's this one level with some rails that I died a bajillion times on. And it was really weird whenever I would fall and I would see the reflection in the water. And I'd realize that it was just like New York City, just like underwater above me or something weird like that. I was just like, what? Wait, this is yeah. weird. <laughs> um, and that's, that's the interesting thing is that Splatoon, it... It does have a wide variety of environments, and um, so you you have some like very clean looking suburban environments. You have a lot of uh, grungy kind of industrial things, especially for the levels introduced in Splatoon Three. Uh, Salmon Run, oh my gosh, Salmon Run is just you know its mm. own thing entirely. And then like the story mode, like so much of the vibe of story mode is because of the environment, like you said, and it's. It's this very, like, you can make, they, they're good at making environments that are very unsettling to just explore, even when you know you're not really in any danger. Yeah, certainly there's there's just, like, shut down buildings and, like, things that are taped off all over the place and stuff, and it kind of tells a story in and of itself, and you're kind of like, 
ooh, what is that building? Like, I wish I could get up on top of that and see what it is and stuff. But you don't really get a chance to interact with it. Um, and so, like, they did put a lot of detail into all of the little areas and stuff. And, of course, you get into the levels, and, you know, they're a little more classic Nintendo sort of levels. A lot of times they feel a lot like Mario 64 levels or uh, some of the the shrines in Breath of the Wild yeah, the or something in a lot of ways. Syndrome. Yeah, and I will yeah. say that is probably the complaint cool. about the world design is that many levels just feel like abstract obstacle courses. And that's been true for all of the Splatoon yes. games. And and for Nintendo in general, it happens a lot, honestly, because, you know, they succeeded way back in the day with Mario, which was abstract obstacle courses, and uh, they have not really decided to change that up since. <laughs> and to be fair, uh, they set the standard, and, you know, for a long time, everyone thought that's just what video games were. So, uh, you know, it was obviously a success, and it, it, it hasn't stopped working for them, really. Yeah. So. so, lastly, is the fashion of Splatoon 3. And I have to say, like, the fashion in Splatoon, it's kind of interesting because I feel like the, the vibe of Splatoon 1 was a lot more cohesive, and then they diversified the fashion, especially in, like, the promotional material. So it went from kind of this um, summertime sort of... I mean, they had coats and stuff in Splatoon 1, but I don't know. It just it's It's interesting. It doesn't seem... It's, um, I guess the designs seem a lot busier, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I imagine it's probably a little less cohesive, but I mean, obviously you're going to, if you're on your third game and you're going to let people dress their characters up yourself, you know, you're going to have like some diversity in, in costume and stuff like that, or people are just going to be like, oh yeah, this is like identical to the first one. Why do I care? Yeah. You know, it's um, interesting. i Despite saying that, while, while there is a like a broader variety, it just feels like there's less options in this game, at least when it first launched, than there were in the other games. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's something I've noticed. Is that like because the thing I always gravitate toward is this sort of paramilitary look, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so like you can't get a gas mask in Splatoon. Um, Splatoon 3 like the the first two Splatoon games like that was one of the one of the starting sets was a gas mask you know sort of like what uh, Psycho Mantis wears in Metal Gear Solid oh they just replaced it with the COVID mask <laughs> yeah there there are now a lot of um, a lot of uh, face masks that just go over um, you know cloth masks but um, yeah, I don't know. So it is, it is one of those things where it's like you can kind of get close to what you're looking for, but that doesn't seem to be, I don't know. And maybe that's just because the game's new and they haven't added as much content. But um, yeah, it, it has, for um, for large part, it has a pretty broad representation of many different fashion styles. A lot of it is kind of more urban. Um, I think a lot of it is kind of Japanese. Like there's, um, what is it? Like the satin jacket looks very very much like what you would find in um stereotype of east east asian street clothing i guess yeah there's there does seem to be a lot of what you uh, at least us as as americans would perceive as as like tokyo urban outfitting you know is kind of what i i get a lot from a lot of it mm -hmm. from what i've seen in pictures and from you know things like anime and stuff which i'm sure are not the greatest uh, like depiction of what stuff looks like in actual Tokyo. But, you know, like you just get a little bit of that vibe of like, okay, yeah, this is like urban uh, apparel 
in Japan. Like, this is definitely the vibe you get from a lot of they it. They give you the option in the looks menu to change your uh, Inklings pants, but pants have never been like a, an equipment slot. What What are your thoughts on that? Would you like to have pants as an equipment slot? Yeah, I think that would be cool. The only downside, of course, is that, and and I assume once you get deeper into the game and you've leveled up more and you've got more equipment and stuff, there's a little bit less of this, but any game that allows you to kind of customize your appearance but at the same time links, like, stats and stuff to that appearance is kind of frustrating. Like, I was wearing the space helmet for a long time that I I didn't like at all. It didn't fit the rest of my outfit at all just because it was the best helmet that I had. And uh, so it is kind of nice that no matter what I put on, my pants still, you know, are the outfit that I wanted for my character from the beginning. Um, but, you know, maybe that's just because I'm, I'm new to the game. And if I was playing a lot and I had a whole lot of equipment, I would have something that looked like whatever I wanted that did well, whatever actually, I wanted to Well, actually, there's good news too. for you because um, in Splatoon 3, because of the ability chunk system, you can actually overwrite any of your mm-hmm. abilities. So oh, if you okay. don't like the main ability cool. on a, it, it, it costs a lot of ability chunks, so you have to spend a lot of time playing the game. But yeah, yeah, if you farm a yeah. ability chunks, you can restat your um, your equipment to be whatever you want it to be. Okay, in that case, yeah, I, I think that uh, that pants should be a thing too, because I, I do think it would be cool to be able to shift your appearance even more and really customize it then, because then you can just customize your appearance to look however you want and then you can stat them yeah, the however only, you want. The only issue I see is that you add even more complexity because now there's an extra gear slot. Right, it might do something to balancing, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, overall, the, the fashion, it does, um, while it seems a little bit less unified in past than it was in past Splatoon games, well, than it was in Splatoon 1, it, it has like that very, it still has a very colorful kind of urban, sort of a, I guess to some extent, kind of a hip-hop aesthetic. And, uh, you know, it, it really does kind of... Splatoon, like, when it first came out, the first game, people said it had kind of this 90s vibe, especially with the, the focus on, like, this, you know, because slime was, like, a really big deal in the 90s. I don't know why, but, right. uh, you know, it's sort of the slime aesthetic and kind of Nickelodeon. So the, the bright colors of the fashion yeah. really helped kind of bring that out. Yeah, I kind of get had that, you know, you, you could definitely feel somebody having baggy pants and a backwards baseball cap and a boombox on their shoulder and the slime everywhere, you know, like like it all all really just felt that like late 80s, early 90s vibe uh, with the hip hop sort of stuff going into there. And then, of course, the, the music and everything like still fit that because it's got this really, really unique soundtrack that I wouldn't say is hip hop necessarily, but you could definitely see someone break dancing to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, the music is, well, it's very eclectic in Splatoon and... Um, one of the, one of the nice features here in Splatoon three is that they they patched this in um, a few months after launch. Is now you can actually it, it's interesting. Like the music in Splatoon, they actually have like bands and stuff, fictional bands. So they mm-hmm. you all know, have these bands, and it's like, oh yeah, I know this. This is like I other than like the Squid Sisters or Anarchy, um, whatever their name is. Uh, I I don't really know any of the bands and names but like i don't know barracuda smash or whatever it's like oh yeah i like their music so it's interesting because you can you can like listen you know that you have these different bands that have like their own distinct style um yeah absolutely i it's been i just set it up with a 5.1 surround system 
And so with between the subwoofer and the fact that it plays a lot of the music on the satellites and then has a lot of the the speech and stuff coming through like the main center speaker, like the the music is really, really cool uh, to have like, you know, like hearing it come from like one of the vents in the campaign stuff where like as you get closer to the music, you can hear it coming from the level, you know, like it's really, really a unique, interesting experience. Uh, I really I really would suggest that that a person figure out how to do surround sound with Splatoon if they can, because it's it's been really cool. Okay, honestly. well, I'll have to look <laughs> into that because I'm still using the speaker on my TV and uh, those are not great. <laughs> They're not <laughs> like, so here's the thing about the, I'll, I'll go on a little tangent about my television sound system is that the speaker, like certain tones will like um, resonate with the plastic of the television. And so oh, no. you can like hear the TV itself, like the plastic shell on the back of the TV where the speakers are, like start to hum and vibrate with uh, with oh, no. in, in uh, like in sync with the uh, the speaker. And you want to so here's oh, here's goodness. the funny part. You want to know what triggers it the worst? Princess Zelda's voice in uh, in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Oh, that's so great. Every time so, she you talks, know, people talk like, about how much they think Princess Zelda, and I know we're not talking about Splatoon at the moment, but people talk about how her voice acting wasn't the best. Well, I have an extra layer of annoyance with her voice because of that. It just causes that's this, so this good. obnoxious, high-pitched buzzing. Oh, but anyway, awesome. anyway, but it. yeah, no, the music and... Like I said, there's so many different styles. There's rock, and the rock is... And it's all got this kind of slightly otherworld quality to it. Like, it's like, this is music. This is not human music. This is squid music. Yeah, they really hit something truly unique. I do remember way back in, I don't know, 2014, 2015, whenever it was that the first one came out, um, the Game of the Awards, Game of the Year Awards I was listening to, like, Splatoon took music the music category and it was it was no contest like like they were like everyone else was arguing for their choice for second place because everyone was just like this is some of the best and truly most unique music in video games in a long time and everyone knew it and so like this was uh for the giant bomb uh which is a bunch of guys from ign or Game and GameSpot. When GameSpot went under, a bunch of people from GameSpot went and started their own uh, stuff, and people from IGN came over and started working with them and stuff. So, uh, you know, it was uh, has a pretty decent pedigree. But anyway, they did a Game of the Year uh, awards podcast where you get to hear the entire deliberation of them arguing as a group about what should get number one in all these different categories. And that like, they get heated. They yell at each other. They have like legit arguments. Um, you know, like some of them have games that they're like willing to die on the hill for and stuff. But it was really impressive that year when they were just like Splatoon takes number one for music. So who's going to take number two, you know, like just like immediately. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and you know the the thing is also the the musical style is different for the single player and the um, multiplayer. Like the multiplayer is a bit more conventional, while the single player is like get, that's where they get their really avant garde, really weird stuff. But um, I will say that it's um, the the single player music in Splatoon Three, while it's still weird, um, like if you watch 
the memes on YouTube, there's a lot of um, lot of memes about the single player music, especially what what was it like the Bing Bang? Um, oh yeah, that one was super yeah, strange. Yeah, uh, but the thing is, the the music in uh, Splatoon 3's single player is actually more conventional than the first game. Like the first game, the music was almost unpleasant <laughs> at times. Yeah, like it's nearly grating because yeah, of, just how of how weird, weird it was. It was. Um, this one, they toned it down. It's still weird, and I like that, but it's it's now at like the acceptable level of weird. Also kind of some interesting like 80s synth sort of influences I've noticed. Yeah, no, I could totally have jammed out to the... Like, like I will probably go now, especially after this conversation, because I hadn't even thought about it until just now, but I will probably track down Splatoon 3 soundtrack on whatever music app i can find it on and and just chill out listening to splatoon music while i drive now i think that'd be pretty mm -hmm. cool <laughs> so now that we've talked about the aesthetic uh let's talk about the game modes and we're going to be talking about uh story mode first and so uh this is your spoiler warning um yeah. if you don't want to be spoiled <laughs> then uh jump ahead i don't know how long this is going to go on so i can't tell you at what point but uh you know, just check the, if you're watching this on, or listening to this on YouTube, then just check the, the chapter markers in the description. But, uh, so story mode. And I find the story mode really interesting here because you, okay, so you show up and you talk to Captain Cuttlefish, like at the beginning of every story mode. And he recruits you, uh, possibly against your, uh, your will. So, you know, uh, you've been, you've been drafted. And. Right. He gives you like this really high tech gear and stuff and you, you go through a linear progression of levels and you know, you have to be a level to get the power eggs um, to dispel this goop. You're, you have this little, um, yeah, small, small fry, fry. This, uh, salmonid small fry and people have taken to calling him little buddy. Um, yeah. That makes and sense. You actually do get some customization over him, so I gave him kind of the slicked back hair. What did you just go with the default, or what? What did you do for him? No, I, I gave him mohawk. I really enjoy giving him his little mohawk. He's he's so dirty. <laughs> I know, and I love that guy. Like, and going around the the hub level, um, the gosh, what does it call it? I guess Splatlands, the Splatlands town, and trying to figure out where he's hiding. Yeah, that's oh fun. yeah, um, but. Uh, he can he can eat the the area is covered in this fuzzy goop that if you touch it you get covered in fur. Um, it turns you into uh, is that mold? Yeah, I guess it's mold. I hadn't considered it like that, but it's it's like fur mold. Anyway, mammal mold. Yeah. So he can eat this stuff, but he needs a certain number of power eggs to eat a, a, a glob, and so you need to get the power eggs from being levels. And you start out in kind of this canyon. With all of this gear, uh, fighting, honestly, like, disappointingly basic levels. Yeah, they're very tutorial-y. Yeah. And I have to admit, this is one of those things where when you first play it, it's, it's kind of grating and dumb. But after I got through it, because, spoilers, that's not the entire game. There is a point where you, after you fight the first boss, the, the structure changes completely. Yeah, it did take me a while to actually start the campaign legitimately because whenever I, I mean, I say start, I mean, I had started it, but I played a couple levels and I was like, ugh, 
and I played a little bit more, and I was like, ugh. And I, this this happened multiple times when I would try to get into it. And then, yeah, you get to that boss fight, and it really picks yeah, up. Well, so here's the thing is, I said I disliked it at first. I actually like it more in hindsight because the whole thing is a prank. Yeah. Um, because if you played the first Splatoon, that was the structure of the first two Splatoon campaign modes was this kind of more linear uh-huh. level where you're just going through an era of like, it wasn't completely linear. You, you had some leeway in how you tackled them, but it, it was the sort of, you just go through very basic levels um, and then you fight a boss and then you go on to the next world. It was kind of like the super Mario 3d world or whatever method. Right. Um, and people were saying, even in Splatoon two, when Splatoon two came out, they were like, can't they do something more interesting with the campaign? Can't they do something? And, you know, and then Octopass expansion came out, and everyone was like, "Oh, Octopass expansion! Like this is this is what the campaign for Splatoon three should be." And Octopass expansion had uh, its structure was a lot more like um, what the Alterna sections were like, where you had these levels that yeah, had like, like very specific challenges that were weird and unique. And then you'd, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd have to, like, pay an entry fee and stuff like that. It was a little bit different because you had to, like, go through these different rail lines because the whole thing was on, like, a, a subway system. But um, so oh. what I think the intention of this was, one, to, as a tutorial, but two, I think Nintendo, like, heard the feedback and how people really did not want to go back to the, um, the first two campaigns for three. And so they did this as a fake out. Yeah, like a legit fake out to be like, ah, hey, here you go, here it's just it is. More the and then same. like, and I, then... <laughs> I assume the DJ guy who is the first boss is a recurring boss from the yeah, previous he was the games. final boss of the previous two games. Okay, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's the feel that I got from the conversations I had with him. And then, yeah, then that ends. You beat him, and then all of a sudden it breaks out into like a a more far more like open world sort of game um there's there's still obviously like sections and levels but the the like hubs are way more like traversable areas with like things to find and stuff to do and and like like cool yeah, things that that in that regard the hub levels is more like the first game but the like the actual way the levels are designed is more like um so it, it's really kind of taking the best of both worlds approach the individual levels themselves, yeah, they have the they have a lot of like really cool and interesting designs behind them. Um, some of the ones that really stick out are ones that have you like run some sort of special maze or recreate like some sort of artwork or uh, you know like weird interesting challenges. They definitely have a feel that reminds me uh, a lot of them of. Super Mario Sunshine, whenever you would make it into one of those platforming sections where you would lose mm-hmm. Flood. Um, like, a lot of them have kind of a vibe like that. Um, or, you know, just in general, Super Mario Sunshine, which you can tell has, like, a lot of DNA in this, including the third boss battle where you fight the Manta Ray, who is literally <laughs> the exact same as the Manta Ray in yeah, Super Mario Sunshine. Yeah, that like an idiot, despite the fact that I, I, I know. hated that boss in Super Mario Sunshine. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, loved this it. In this one, this. It, it was fine so happy. because I, I got the reference, but in Super Mario Sunshine, yeah, to heck with that boss, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, no, like, legitimately, it, like, 
Super Mario Sunshine is one of those games that, like, I appreciate it a lot more in, in hindsight. But, yeah, like, there were some definitely grating parts. And that level was super weird and kind of grating and frustrating. Like, I feel like they could have done more with it. But, anyway, yeah, the, the fact that the Manta Ray does the exact same thing and his ink looks way more like the ink from – or the, mm-hmm. the – yeah, the ink from – from Super Mario Sunshine than a lot of the rest of the ink does in the game. Uh, it, it was really cool. I appreciated that a lot. But, yeah, just the a lot of the levels kind of had a similar feel to platforming in Mario games, uh, which I think was, was really cool. And I don't have a lot to compare it to from the previous games, but it, it, it definitely worked well, and I definitely liked it, except for some of the rail ones where you're shooting targets. Those okay, so I'm, I'm not the only one who hated those because, yeah, the... My least favorite, and I think you actually referenced it earlier, my least favorite mission in the entire game, and the one that I had the most trouble with outside of the one that's like the super hard one that's supposed to be super hard. Um, my least favorite one is the one where you're going through. It's like kind of has a sunset aesthetic, and I think the default weapon is the stringer, the three stringer. Yeah, yes. and mm-hmm. you're you're supposed to break all the crates, and if you don't, you, you fall off. That one... I yes. think probably took me like over 45 minutes. Yeah. So that one is the one that I have struggled with the most out of like, I've, I've pretty much breezed through everything else in the entire game. Uh, and that one was nearly impossible for me. And I finally just had to move on. And I'll have to come back to it, but essentially it's the one that just kind of revealed some of the, the flaws of mm-hmm. Splatoon three in that because it's a multiplayer game that they have like designed a campaign for uh i just feel like a lot of times the hit detection and stuff like that is kind of weird uh whenever you're trying to hit something that is a stationary target um i i you know and maybe it's just get good scrub but I continually felt like I would do the exact same thing on a subsequent try and it just Mm -hmm. wouldn't work when I was trying to blow up some of those crates. Like I would hit center ass with the arrows and it would explode and just not knock one of them out randomly or something like that. And uh, so there was just like frustrating moments like that that happened a lot that just really... uh, or like where you would aim at something and it would it would show that your reticle was where it needed to be because mm-hmm. it'll change colors uh, if you're going to be able to hit something and you'd let it loose. And then it would nick something else on the way over and it would block it just because uh, I just don't think their, like, their sight system is designed for you to be like moving super fast when you're shooting at things because their sight system is designed for, you know, jumping back and forth and shooting a guy who's right in front of you who's shaped like a person. Uh, and so your like hit detection is not necessarily that uh, specific whenever you're doing that because it's a person-shaped thing and not a square that's behind another square and you accidentally nick the corner of the first square, but it doesn't show that you're going to hit the corner of the square. <laughs> You know, so there's just things like that that happened a lot during that that I just I became really frustrated with some of the inconsistencies. Everything else was really good the rest of the time, but that that particular yeah, one. I, I will it, just to like sort of uh, try to comfort you a little bit. I've seen a lot of animosity for that mission online from other players. So um, you're yeah. you're not alone. I had trouble with it. A lot of other people had trouble with it. Um. And also, it's the one other thing that I do have, uh, like, everything in this podcast is pretty much going to be praised for this game, except for this moment. Um, The other thing that I did notice is that uh, 
one of the ways that they increase difficulty sometimes is by going, ha, gotcha. Um, they, they do like to do that occasionally. And I felt that in this one and in one of the other target ones. Um, in general, you can beat one of these missions on your first try most of the time. Uh, but there are a couple of missions that I, I nearly guarantee no one can beat on the first try because they intentionally do things that you just can't yeah, account like, for. Are, are you talking uh, about how one of them you have to beat it while in free fall? Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of this one, you have to beat while in free fall. And as you're coming up on the rail, you just don't have any idea what's happening. Like, it's just all of a sudden you're just launched off and you're trying to figure out how you're supposed to snipe it uh and you're falling and you're like okay well i just failed that attempt because i didn't even know what was happening uh but then in another one where they straight up like kind of just it's clear that they are kind of just poking at you and like haha look you couldn't beat it because we messed with you is one where they launch the 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 targets at you in a in a previous one and on the very last one the fifth one flies over and it hits the fence and bounces away from you. And they go, oh, no. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, there was no possible way that I could have known that. And so I failed the mission because it bounced away when it's the only time one bounces any direction but towards you in the entire map. You've got to hit all 15. The 15th one hits hits on the same side that they're launching from and bounces away back towards where they came from. And you just have no time to react. And oops, uh uh-oh, you just lost. So now you have to replay again because you couldn't have possibly known that was going to happen without playing and losing it once before, essentially. And so there's a couple of moments in the game like that where I was pretty frustrated where the game essentially just decided, yeah, you're going to have to lose this and then try again. Whereas I, I feel like in any game, uh, like that's a, that's an old game mechanic where you're just supposed to bang your head against it until you learn everything yeah, and by, then you can do it flawlessly. It's, it's kind of an old school mindset to game design. Yes, exactly. Where if, where, you know, in old platformers, for instance, you couldn't have known what was coming up sometimes until you had already died. And so you just have to learn the entire level through trial and error. And we, we've come away from that throughout the years a lot. And, and I appreciate that because I, I like the idea that you can actually beat a game just based on skill without having to memorize everything. And there's a little tiny bit of that you have to memorize everything in Splatoon 3's campaign. Uh, and it just comes away. You feel kind of like you're doing a whole lot of those like time trial sort of missions in an open world game or something that are like very tertiary and not part of the main game. It's like, oh yeah, you got to catch a hundred pigeons while you're flying around the city as Spider-Man, you know? And it's like, oh, this is kind of frustrating, but at least it's like a really secondary mission that I don't have to care about at all. Uh, but instead they've, they've made it like a, a main part. Yeah, you can skip it, but you feel bad doing it because it's not it's not any different from any of the other missions as far as the way the game yeah. looks at well, it. Well, actually, you but can anyway, tell the difficulty that's my rant. Uh, of, a, of a mission based on the color of the kettle. Yeah, the gold I did not ones know are that. apparently harder. <laughs> so okay. The, right. I don't well. know if there's like any difference in how much um, how much stuff you get from them, but yeah, that's there's that. Um so yeah. while we're on the yeah. subject of the gameplay, um, what do you think about having the upgrade uh, stuff for the um, the like the the skill tree? I guess, for lack of a better term. 
Yeah, the the hero mm-hmm. gear, gear uh, tab. I thought that was pretty cool. I appreciated it. It was fun. Um, I do feel like I might have been missing something where I could like choose what gun I wanted to equip or something. Like I know you could choose between three guns uh, in each each mission, but um, I, I felt like I should be able to change the gun that was my from my for my main loadout. But it was just the the really like bog mm-hmm. standard gun the entire time. Other than that, yeah, I, I thought it was cool that they that you slowly unlocked the different secondary weapons and like using less ink and stuff. And you definitely felt rewarded for like kind of generally a hundred percenting things because I I never like. I got upgrades as soon as they were available, like every time, because I had been really trying really hard to find everything in the game and do all the stuff. And so I was never like behind on that, like, oh no, I can't get this upgrade because I didn't do enough. So it did feel rewarding to get to like do better because my character was, because I had been trying yeah, really I, hard. I really like that. Uh, the original Splatoon had some upgrade mechanics from what I recall. It's been a while, but nothing quite that in depth. Um, I also like the fact that just as a, this is just a nice detail that I I like is that it does eventually change your character's appearance. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some shifts in, in what your character looks like and stuff as you keep leveling up. I thought that was really an interesting touch. My my biggest complaint is that you don't get to keep the gear when you're using something other than the hero shot in a mission. And you know, I, it's not even because I miss the special abilities. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do. But I just want shoes. Is that so much to ask for? <laughs> that was literally like the <laughs> yeah, first no, I... thing I tried to get was to get my character's shoes back because I don't want to be walking around in the... I think they said the snow was artificial, but I don't want to be walking around in the artificial snow barefoot. <laughs> yeah, I did just in general feel... It's maybe one of my my other weird complaints uh, is that I never could figure out like my outfit was constantly changing. And then I've got a different outfit in the the hub world. And then there's, you know, you've got a different outfit for like salmon run and you got a different outfit for turf battles. It's your, your outfit is constantly changing based on what game mode you're playing. And, and even beyond that, like different weird things during those game modes. And I I do, I am kind of jarred by that because I do like to get my character the way I want them to look in a game and then stick with it. And for me to constantly be robbed of, of the things that I've unlocked and the appearance that I've gotten that I like for just some other weird random costume that's associated with the game mode I'm playing is, Oh, it's a little off putting. It's not too bad. But um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about the story. As I already alluded to, you're recruited slash drafted by Captain Cuddlefish uh, to try to solve the, the mammal goop issue. So in the plot, uh, after you clear the uh, the valley, I, I don't know if it's Octo Valley, but you're clearing the goop out from it, and you the floor collapses and you fall into Alterna, which was the last bastion of humanity after um, the, the whatever cataclysm uh, destroyed humanity and uh, put them on the back foot. So you get to, uh, well, you get to explore this this kind of, I don't know, I guess in a way it's kind of a tomb. Like they, they were trying to build a rocket to escape from space, and you can see the rocket off in the distance. But it's it's kind of this very unsettling setting, you know? 
it's this uh, it's this kind of this post-apocalyptic setting where uh, everyone is and you're you're getting like a, as you go along you're getting logs from humanity that is sort of detailing the uh, the events leading up to them trying to launch into space and um, even at one point you can actually get logs of what happened after they went to space spoilers it didn't go well yeah the the whole area kind of has this like super like spooky kind of like research like cobbled together field uh like camp sort of vibe to it like you, you definitely get that it's like definitely a last stand sort of area where nothing's like really built up like a real buildings or anything it's it's very much just like oh yeah we got some like portable research buildings over here and and you know like definitely kind of a camp vibe in a lot of places and then like you say yeah there's a rocket ship off in the distance and everything's kind of like broken and and yeah it has this like ghost of a of a apocalypse feel to it the entire time even though it's 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 pretty colorful and kind of like i mean a i guess white is a color <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, the buildings. There's buildings that have lots of color, you know, and stuff like that. But yeah, there's a lot of ice and and snow and and white stuff too. Yeah, yeah. They definitely have a white aesthetic. <laughs> but then it makes all the like red buildings and stuff, like the the weird like. You could definitely get a, get the feel that they're like a research building or something that's like been just plopped down there. Uh, that's like bright red um, that you can't actually go into and i really wanted to i wanted to at least get on top of it but you yeah <laughs> and so after all of this uh, after exploring this area um the you know you, you explore more and more of it and you're exploring it with the uh, the squid sisters because the squid sisters are also secret agents um you know harkening back to the the late 90s and early 2000s in terms of writing where you could be a, a pop star and a secret agent apparently <laughs> it's delightful and the captain doesn't ever actually talk everyone else talks for oh uh, yeah that is that's pretty funny um by which we mean the um the protagonist from the previous from i think the captain is supposed to be the protagonist from the first splatoon we're not we, we're not referring to captain cuttlefish for those of you who haven't played it no yeah, yeah. and if you haven't played it why are you listening to this we did didn't hear a spoiler warning <laughs> but uh yeah and then uh the um what are they called? I want to say Anarchy Rainbow, right? Uh, no, they're the something edge. Oh, they? yeah, yeah. Um, I think Anarchy Rainbow is the name of one of their songs. Um, yeah, it's uh, Deep Cut. Deep Cut. Yeah, Deep Cut, Deep yeah, Cut shows it. up. Yeah, I was like, I know it has like a, a sword reference in there. Yeah, and something. so you, you have Shiver, Fry, and Big Man show up at some point, and they're basically Team Rocket. <laughs> Yeah, it's delightful. They, I really appreciated them a whole lot. They were enjoyable. Um, Shiver's probably my favorite, but obviously, like the big man boss fight was fantastic too. Like it was, yeah, it was a good and time. it's it's um, you know, it's it's really kind of refreshing because normally the um the the pop star representative of the game is kind of your ally at the end, of, at least at the end of the story mode. They're um, you, they're revealed to be like secret agents or something because in splatoon 2 that uh, marina and pearl were also kind of in on it but uh, and i think that was more so in the octopass expansion but yeah no like throughout the entire octopass expansion like they were they were your contacts and not callie and marie um and then here in this game uh the the idols or 
whatever the musician group or actually for most of the game antagonists and that was a really nice kind of twist on it yeah it was really funny because obviously i've i've seen them as the you know the news people at the beginning of every day when you log on telling you what what maps are available and stuff like that so then for them to show up as as the villains briefly and you just be like wait what's happening why what and they're like yeah you know we gotta have day jobs too and it was just it was very funny it was enjoyable it's one of those things that you like you go up and you look at them in the studio and you just sort of like press your face against a glass and glare at them after that (laughs) well until you beat the story mode oh you you know know, they, they join your team but yeah um yeah and then the the big reveal for the story is that the villain is Mr. Grizz. I love Mr. Oh, uh, yeah, Mr. Grizz is great. But Mr. Grizz, it's interesting because he was, um, you know, he's the, the boss of Salmon Run. He's, he's the uh, employer. And so this is a character that was introduced into, in Splatoon 2. And so it's just interesting seeing that, like, kind of that long game the, the the foreshadowing since the previous game of this this kind of shady guy who's collecting these things and you don't really know why he wants them. And then in this one, he shows up and you just get little tidbits of, of information about him at first. Like you, you get that it's probably mm-hmm. Mr. Grizz early on because you you start hearing like little like chatter on the radio and stuff. And he's obviously talking about business and stuff. But then his whole plan and then whenever you actually get to see him is is really, really interesting. Um, like I, it, it is weird because like essentially his idea is he's going to cover the whole world in this mold stuff and bring back the mammals and you feel kind of weird as a human being who is a mammal um like fighting against him but at the same time it's like well you're you know this is already the post-apocalypse and there's already essentially the new version of humans are around so it, it is weird to like go against the guy who's i guess essentially trying to bring back the normal order of things but at the same time, you could only do it by, like, wiping out all of what is humanity now at this point. So, um, and then, of course, he's just delightful. Like, I loved seeing him, like, just gigantic and and talking about business constantly. It was enjoyable. Yeah, he has this very kind of formal um, sort of uh, corporate PR way of speaking. You know, everything reads yeah, sort of like had... an internal memo. memo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There was this great line. He said... I can't, I can't remember what it is that, that he called it, but he called his plan, like, some sort of, like, apocalypse or something like that, and he was like, uh, don't call it that in front of HR <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> that was one of my favorite lines in the yeah, game. Yeah, and then, um, in, like, true Sonic the Hedgehog uh, tradition, uh, that the whole thing ends in a battle in space. Yeah, that was that was a uh, really really cool. I appreciated a lot of things about that, like the rotating spaceship where you had to like run on the spaceship and and follow it around and stuff. There was a little bit of that whole like trial and error thing there where like you don't know what's happening until you've already died and then you have to like, oh, okay, I guess I'm trying that again cuz uh I I didn't know that was what they were wanting from me. Um but it was it was pretty good all the way up until uh yeah, the kind of the the 
that's the penultimate moment is when you're running on this spaceship fighting him. And then, then the, the DJ guy from the previous game shows up and you use his spaceship and your small fry turns into a huge fry. And like just this very power of friendship nonsense happens at the end, which is pretty delightful. But I did, uh, I did not know how to control my spaceship yeah, for a that, while, uh, and so I lost the first time because they do not explain it even a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that that was a, a problem, and I, I did screw up the first time. But hey, you get that special game over screen that um, I'm sure will traumatize a generation of children. Yeah, that was kind of horrifying. Like, I, well done, well done. It it made me feel very despondent uh after i saw that and i was like wow that's kind yeah, of messed and, up you know, that's kind um, of good the job entire, <laughs> entire vibe of splatoon is it's this really bright colorful shooter with um you know this kind of cartoony 90s sort of um very kid friendly sort of aesthetic in the multiplayer and then the single player modes are always have this weird kind of eerie sort of um just very creepy vibe yeah the post-apocalyptic part is way more obvious in the story mode which is really interesting so yeah for just yeah, to, it's most it's kind of most flew. prevalent i i would say of all the main story modes here um i think probably the darkest story mode was the octopass expansion but of like the the non DLC ones, yeah, this is definitely the the eeriest and weirdest one. Yeah. So as as just kind of a quick summary, because we we kind of mentioned a random handful of the things from the story, but didn't really quite go over it. Yeah. You you get down there. Mister Grizz's plan is to launch this spaceship. Uh, into space and then uh, explode a whole bunch of his mammal mold onto the whole planet and sort of like, I guess, kill everything and then start over evolution, I suppose, is his plan so that he can bring back mammals through his mammal mold. And uh, yeah, if you if you lose in that last minute, then yeah, he totally does it. And you actually see scenes of the whole world covered in this mold and people like laying there dead. Well, the thing and, is, I don't think uh, they I actually mean, die, best I can tell. Yeah, they get covered in the mold stuff, but that's what happens when you die in the game. If you touch the mold, you get covered I mean, in that mold stuff and you fall over and then you respawn. Happens, they, they like sometimes if it, I, I remember that happened to me in the opening area with Captain Cuttlefish, and I remember him making a remark about having to shave me or something. So I'm not sure it's a death oh, yeah. sentence. It's, it's a little yeah, ambiguous. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, there's, cityscape covered in the mold stuff and uh people laying on the ground covered in this mold fur stuff uh not able to move it's it's pretty horrific um yeah so you stop him and the credits roll and uh yeah you you manage to stop him because everybody teams up together finally at the end and uh for some reason their good vibes and music power up your small fry and turn him into a gigantic fish monster kaiju that fights mr grizz who is also a giant bear kaiju and so um interesting thing is after you beat story mode like you can still do salmon run um but so uh, you know that may seem like a bit of a plot hole, but they actually accounted for that. Did you did you know about that? Oh no, okay, I did not. Okay, so if you go into uh, Grizzco, you'll notice that there's a little um, pencil holder cup that is black and uh-huh. white and kind of patterned to look like Judd. 
And so uh -huh. before you beat story mode, and I didn't notice this because I only beat, I, I did not play multiplayer until I beat story mode. But it, okay. before you beat story mode, little Judd, um, you know, he, he looks weird and spiky, right? But he did not look that way mm -hmm. in the, the first game, or in Splatoon 2, the first game he showed up in. After you beat story mode, he's now wearing a headset. So what's the, the implication, implication is that he took over Grizzco after Mr. Grizz got launched into space. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, and if you read some of the um, some of the sunken scrolls regarding Little Judd, it's made very clear Little Judd is a spiteful, bitter, malicious little um, gremlin who who's just <laughs> angry at the world for for existing. I best I can tell. <laughs> so I think we know who the villain of Splatoon 4 or the announced, uh, what is it called, the Side Order DLC that was recently announced. I think we know who the villain of that's mm. going to be. Yeah, that would make some sense. So I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that because I've never trusted that guy. You know, Judd, Judd is cool. I like Judd, but little Judd, ever since I first saw him, I'm like, I don't, where did this come from? Something weird about yeah. his eyes. Those beady little eyes, <laughs> like a doll's eyes. <laughs> yeah, overall, the story was enjoyable and uh, interesting, and I think that uh, especially the the like boss battle there, uh, especially the part where you're actually on the spaceship before you go into the the DJ mech, uh, definitely felt like a good culmination. Like you know, you you really feel like you used a lot of the skills that you learned in the campaign. Uh, a lot during that, and it, it felt good. You know, it's it's cool. All right, so now that we've talked about story mode, uh, let's talk about the uh, the versus modes in the game. So there are the turf wars and there are the ranked matches, and turf wars is kind of the main draw here. So um, for those of you who, uh, if you need a summary of turf war, basically you have three minutes to ink as much territory as possible. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. That's, it's, it's very simple to explain. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I, I know a lot of people, especially like the, uh, the people who are like really hardcore Splatoon fans don't like Turf War that much. They see it as kind of a silly, um, mode that you just blow off. It's like, yeah, this is where you go to practice with weapons. But I, I really like Turf Wars cause it's, it's a simple concept. You can just jump in and start playing but there actually is like i've, I've watched a, a few videos on it there there actually is strategy to it there are there are tactics you can apply yeah i think that it's it's a really pretty enjoyable mode uh it, it may be one of my my favorite things to do uh i think salmon run i might enjoy a little bit Same. more but i'm i've just i've just always been a bigger fan of uh, co-op modes than I am of like competitive modes so that makes sense but um, that said like turf wars is just it's just good good clean fun it's good well, to jump I mean, into it's, it's you know some... I'm not sure I would say it's clean <laughs> yeah but yeah you know you you and I even on the days that we only I only ended up being able to play like a couple of matches because we uh, had like weird mm -hmm. internet problems or, or what have you uh, we still felt like we got to like Get in, get out, have fun, you know, even though we didn't get to devote as much time to it. So, you know, after now that we're we're finishing up with 
with our review of this game, I, I don't see any reason why we won't keep like trying to get together every week or two and, and play at least oh, yeah, a couple absolutely. rounds of turf wars here. Or there. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know the, um, so what, what do you think about it? a lot of people have said only the last 30 seconds of turf wars matters because like with the ranked modes, you, you actually score points. And so you can get a lead. Um, what, what do you think of that, that complaint? Do you think that turf wars is um, the, it's kind of inconsequential how you go about it or I think that there's a little bit of that but honestly like obviously if you start getting momentum and you keep the pressure on then that matters in in the end game a lot um and you know I I haven't got to play it as much as I I uh, would like to especially to like speak authoritatively about it or whatever but um I do feel like if if you know what you're doing and you keep the pressure on and you don't like a lot of teams seem to forget to keep their own side inked yeah. and stuff like that you know as long as you don't fail to do those sorts of things then early leads in it can start paying dividends later in in the round but at the same time there is always uh, a chance that you can come back which it sucks whenever you're the winning team when you're winning and then that happens to you but obviously it it feels great whenever you feel like you're losing and then yeah, you come I, back so, so here's, I mean, it, here's a story of when that happened to me i was playing a, a match and i was trying to get in ink in the enemy's base and it was the very end of the match and so i think i was using a splatling so i could i i create cleared a corridor, and then they locked onto me with their tentamissiles. I thought, okay, I have two ways I can go. I can run back to safety, or I can charge forward on that, that narrow path I made, even though I'm rushing towards, like, two or three enemies. But it's the end of the match. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to run forward. I'm going to throw a bomb. And so I did that, which is probably what no one expected me to do. I threw that bomb. It right. went off. The match ends. I won by 0.1%. I remember literally my <laughs> right. response to that was, oh my gosh, they must be cussing up a storm right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so wonderful. Yeah, and that's the thing is that, yeah, I think complaints about that, uh, honestly, are just the complaints of sore losers in a way because uh, there's no way people complain that the only the last five, only the last minute matters when they just won, you know, they're, they're only complaining about that whenever they, they feel like they were winning for a lot of it. And then they let it. Uh, yeah, it's one of those end. things where it's and like, always... you have like, how many endings are there in baseball? Why not just, <laughs> but right. Exactly. Um, yeah. No. And the thing I've seen is that if you get like your side, if you can push your opponent back to their spawn point early on, even if they regain ground, they're probably not going to com completely clear off their side because they're so desperate to try to do a counter push. So the thing yeah, I've seen is that, like, yeah. yeah, you actually do, if they gain ground very early on, you actually oftentimes are at a disadvantage just because they've made inroads into your side and your team's probably not, like, you in theory can, but you need all your manpower to push them back usually, which means that there's now going to be chunks of your side, even if it's small ones that are, like, undermining your your national sovereignty or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think, honestly, it, it definitely works well. And I think that uh, especially for a, a more uh, laid back mm -hmm. game mode where you can just drop in and just play and not have to worry about the overall consequences, it, it does feel good to 
um, have it be where you, you always feel like you can come back, but that overall everything you do does yeah, matter. Yeah, one thing I will say about Splatoon 3 is that I think the maps have changed a bit because they they don't feel as expansive as, as they used to be because one of the things I've noticed about Splatoon 3, in Splatoon 1 and 2, I could just kind of like wander off and do my own thing and just sort of avoid other players um, and feel like I was contributing. In Splatoon 3, you will be brought into conflict with other people and I think they've like narrowed the maps to make it to, to like funnel you into conflicts more often. There does there does seem to be a lot of like uh, mm -hmm. bottlenecks and uh, high ground areas where it's like okay yeah if you if you don't get supremacy here then then you're gonna struggle for the rest of the match. Yeah, so Splatoon three, I will say the turf wars do feel a lot more adversarial. They 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 are a lot more aggressive than in previous games, um, which. I mean, on one hand, that's forced me to get better at the actual shooting parts. There's a part of me that gets a little bit frustrated at that because, like I've said, I'm not the best at head-to-head -head combat. But I think probably that's more in line with what Nintendo wanted as a design. And I, it's it's a different play style. That's that's the thing I'll say is that like the Splatoon three has a different feel than Splatoon two in terms of the how the turf wars like they kind of ebb and flow, which I would not say was the case with Splatoon 1. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but, yeah, so other than that, there's ranked mode, which you have to be level 10 to even enter ranked matches. Have you have you reached level 10? I think I have just recently, so I think I technically am ranked C-, minus, but I don't think I've, I've really actually okay, messed with Okay, so ranked modes are fun. Um... So the thing is, every Splatoon game does the ranking, the actual ranking differently. So Splatoon 1, there was one rank for all ranked mode. Um, so you could get to like A rank just by playing uh, tower mode. Um, Splatoon 2 separated them into different categories. So you had your tower rank, you had your splat zones rank, you had your um, uh, clan blitz rank. And now it's back to them all being uh, all being rolled into one, but it resets at the end of every season, okay. which is weird. And I'll confess, the whole resetting thing is part of the reason why I don't really bother with rank mode that much. Right, it's kind of just like bragging rights is essentially what you're after. If yeah. You're it, it is great mode. for a change of pace. I will do it on occasion. I'm just like I'm not super into it, uh, especially since it's like, well, that rank's not gonna like it's just gonna get reset at the end of the season, so why even bother? But um, I guess to speak briefly on my opinions of each of the modes, uh, let's see. Probably my favorite is Splat Zones because it just reminds me the most of um, uh, Turf War. And weirdly enough, that one seems to be the least common in rotation from what I've seen, but that may just be like confirmation <laughs> bias on my part. Uh, Tower Defense and Rainmaker are kind of conceptually similar, except Rainmaker is a bit more freeform because you can pick up the Rainmaker and actually shoot with it and go in any direction you want. Um, those are fine. Clan Blitz, I've heard some people really like clan blitz. I just cannot wrap my head around it. Like that's the you got shot in the back of the head mode for me. Um, and I I cannot figure out like what is the appropriate strategy do I have to adopt to not have that happen to me. 
Um, so yeah, um, ranked mode. It's like don't get me wrong, they're all fun modes, but um, they do have. A, I feel like I'm forgetting one. Am I? I don't know enough of the okay. enough about well, the ranked sure ones to will. have much opinion or to know what the ranked modes are. <laughs> um, whatever the case is, uh, I like them. They are good game modes, but the thing is, it always like. It's, I always walk out of them like feeling kind of exhausted because it's the, yeah. like it feels much more like a tug of war. And like when you're losing, yeah, and, it feels and, like in turf war, when you're losing, it feels bad, but it doesn't last very long. And you just sort of, you know, kind of shrug it off here. It's like you're losing, but you can like extend the match by doing better. Or by like trying to hold them off, so it's one of those really like when you're losing, it really drags on, uh, unless you're just at getting absolutely stomped, and then you just got absolutely stomped. Right? Yeah, I, I've never really liked ranked uh, gameplay very much in any uh, online shooter because I just I don't like the feeling of the pressure that you feel to like. And, you know, you've got a whole team, and so if you're not doing very well that game, you're going to affect everybody else on your mm. team's rank and stuff. And so that pressure just never has felt good. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, those are the versus modes. They're kind of the main draw. Um, next is Salmon Run, the cooperative mode, the PvE. Yeah, it's a whole lot of fun. I really appreciate it. It it has a lot of tactics involved in it. Uh, you know, you you definitely feel like you can drop in with a friend or two and play it. And if, whether you win or lose, you like you you made some progress on your your job and got points and stuff like that. And then uh, whenever you get a chance to fight one of the like big cool bosses, it's always fun. What's what's the name of the giant? Kozuna. One. Kozuna. Yeah. Kozuna. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I I knew I could get you. I actually thought that's what Small Fry would turn into whenever he yeah, turned into huge that, fry. That's but, not what happened. But uh, anyway, I guess because he wouldn't have been able to fly in space as Kahazuna. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a. Uh, it's it's a it's mm -hmm. a cool mode because there's so many different bosses and the waves and everything. That's always my favorite type of game mode in any game is waves with cool different bosses and and feeling like you can you know, work in like a real kind of SWAT team style with your team and communicate well and, and you know, like take ground and stuff. Yeah. It, it's always really I, fun. I will say I, that I love this that mode, mode is like, it does not pull its punches. It definitely gets very hectic, especially on the higher levels. Like I somehow at one point got up to like professional plus two. And it's, it's one of those things where like every time I reach that, like one, after I got like past part-time professional i think is what it's called i was just like how did this happen i don't i don't feel like i have the mental bandwidth to do this and yet i am <laughs> it's it's kind of <laughs> like i have this this category of games that i call zen games where uh, uh -huh. and i don't think salmon run is quite a zen game but it's definitely approaching it where you're like the way you get good at the game is you just sort of turn your brain off and like tap into some altered state of consciousness. 
Yeah, you, you got to get into your flow state. You get into your flow state, and then you just... Uh, and that actually happens more often whenever you have an information mm-hmm. overload. So your brain just sort of switches off a little bit, and then you're just... It's pure reaction, and it, it works out yeah, really well most say, of the time until you're tired. Um, and the then... games for me that I think of most when I think of those type of games are F-Zero and um, Monster Hunter. Oh, Yeah, and Splatoon. Mm-hmm. If you like okay. F-Zero and Monster Hunter, not, not necessarily like... Um, Split uh, the uh, salmon run is not necessarily like those in terms of gameplay, but in terms of the like having to dial down your parts of your brain and just sort of kind of react thing, it definitely it gets close to tapping into that. There, there is yeah. like um, yeah, I can see that a tendency to try to like look at things and go, okay, I need to get those or whatever, but. Then again, like that's still part of Monster Hunter. It's like, oh, I need to go sharpen my weapon right now to be back in a sec. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's definitely got uh, there's strategy to it, and there's definitely things that you can, but there's so much going on at the same time, and it's about really just relying on your instincts so often because each different type of bad guy has you know kind of their own way that you have to fight them and stuff, and so um, especially if you're if you're less knowledgeable about the game, then you're like a little more of a disadvantage because you you don't have those instincts of like oh yeah i need to hit this guy this way because he's got this special thing you know you're just like ah i don't know but yeah as i played it more and we we did it more over a couple of sessions like i got to where i like instinctively knew more how to fight each bad guy and how to exploit their weaknesses and how to use them against other bad guys because that's kind of cool that you can do that too and and stuff it's cool we, we we honestly got where we were doing pretty good especially as a team uh on a couple of those sessions so i'm excited for more salmon run oh uh, yeah and i definitely <laughs> uh, definitely want to do more salmon run um i my goal at the moment and this is like my major issue with salmon run is getting some of the rewards just takes forever um because you have to charge right. up your gauge to fight kohazuna and then kohazuna is going to just give you a bunch of bronze scales um and you have to collect scales to get the the nicer rewards. And silver scales like have a um, on the upper levels. I think you can get it to be about as high as like a ten percent chance per scale. Like it's calculated individually per mm-hmm. each scale. Interestingly, um, so it takes it takes a long while to get anything. I finally got my green slop suit, but I'm aiming for the blue one. <laughs> So that's the uh, the the more super rare one. Yeah, the, the, the rarest one. ones are the black one and the white one. Um, and okay. so that's that's what the real tryhards have. I don't particularly care for those colors, so I just want to get the blue one because I think it looks pretty. That makes sense. <laughs> um, but I finally got the green one, and you know that's kind of the thing is you know I look at a team and when I see like my entire team is something other than the orange ones it's sort of like okay i know i'm i'm working with some vets at least right but uh yeah no it's it's a great mode it's great to to cooperate with a bunch of people it like i said is really overwhelming at first and you do get promoted very quickly so it's very easy to end up getting like um getting too much higher rank than what you're prepared for yeah, I remember we we were playing and uh, like it was it's pretty okay for the first little bit, but after we had done like probably three rounds, like one round was just insane, and you you legitimately pointed out you're like I was kind of hoping that uh, since you are you know 
just starting out that the game would like keep it a little simpler for a little while longer but nope that was that was rough <laughs> yeah well it doesn't help one of the things i learned at lower levels i don't know how i ever got through the low levels because um at the lower levels the people playing are just terrible so you can't count on your teammates for diddly squat yeah, it's like I was I was still figuring out how the game even worked, and then our other two team members were generally useless. Like, uh, I kid you not, there were some times that there was just somebody standing in a corner shooting at the floor, and, you know, there were probably like seven, and, you know, it's, it's fine, but that's, that doesn't change the fact that we were essentially down a player. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a great mode, and, you know, like calling out to... When, when you get that flow state, and you're calling out to your friends and saying, oh, there's a guy over there, can you take care of that? Um, that's That feels really good. Um, I, I do kind of like doing those sort of squad-based things. And um, also, they in Splatoon 3, they added the ability to huck the eggs. You could not do that in Splatoon 2. You, if you picked up an egg, you couldn't put it down, and you had to go all the way back to the net yourself. Oh, okay. Yeah, the throwing the eggs thing is really cool because you can create sort of these, relays. like, uh, like, like uh, yeah, relays where you're, like, throwing, like, something that I've actually gotten pretty good at is just getting eggs and tossing them up to wherever they need to be so that somebody else can put them in. You don't get any points for it. Like you don't get assists or something, which would be kind of cool if you did, but I don't know how they keep track well, of it. I mean, with but, the eggs, um, I don't actually know. Cause I know when it shows how many gold eggs you snagged, there's also like a number in parentheses. So I'm wondering if it's like, you know, those are the eggs that you held previously, but then passed to another player. Yeah. I, I need so. to look yeah. up what that number but, yeah. actually means. Yeah, that 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 that'd be interesting if it was because yeah, it definitely feels like sometimes you're you're like, well, no one's gonna realize how helpful I was as a team, but dang, did I help? <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I've learned about um, Salmon Run, you know, the thing is, the players I've seen are um, when when they actually are on it, they are very attentive to your needs. Like if you get splatted, they're like, oh, I need to help that guy. Like they can't always yeah. make it over to you because sometimes you run off and do something stupid, but. Um, like they're, they're not like just running past you when you're calling for help. They, they see you in your little life ring flotation device and they're, they're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a priority. Yeah. And that's where the, the whole, like, uh, different loadouts can essentially become healers sort of thing comes into play where like, if you have something that's specifically good at like clearing a small area and hitting like a, a wide area, um, it, it can be really good to be like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to hit this whole area right here where my friend is dead. They come back to life, and now they have a little bit of room to breathe in for a second. Um, it's, it's pretty Next cool. I really is, like it a lot. And I haven't put a lot of time into this. They did introduce table turf battles, which is a super cool idea and entirely unnecessary. And I love the fact that they just <laughs> went ahead and included this. Um, it's, a, it's a card game that's... It, and it's one of those things where I still, to the life of me, I can't fully comprehend the rules. Um, and there's no multiplayer for it. So, unfortunately, it's, um, you know, the, there's there's not like a whole lot. I, I think that's part of the reason why people don't talk about it a whole lot online. But it's a cool idea. I want to see a multiplayer for it. Even if I don't personally play it, I want to see, like, what the meta is. Because right now, my current strategy is just try to rush down and then gate off the opponent's area 
Yeah, I haven't gotten to mess with it at all yet, but I have enjoyed collecting the little cards through the campaign and and picking them up at the store yeah. and stuff like that. Like it's it's been it's even that part's just fun. So I'm I'm excited to see what it's like. Yeah, and if they ever have like a multiplayer version you're, of it, I'll, I'll that, really that look forward to playing Pokemon it. Cards, but not to play the game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I hardly ever played Pokemon or Yu Gi Oh, but I have a crap ton of cards. Oh wow, I was just <laughs> making a random analogy. I didn't realize that was a lucky guess of mine. I guess. <laughs> Yep, nope, that really um, is me. <laughs> so, but yeah, Table Turf. Oh, I also like the art for it because it has a completely different art style from the rest of the game, and those little 2D illustrations are cool. Um, yeah, they're beautiful. I really love it. And then I think probably the biggest improvement to uh, Splatoon 3 is what happens between matches. And so, you know, there's the hub, there's the plaza, and I actually don't really like the plaza too much in this game. Because it's, it's really big and kind of, like, windy and twisty. And twisty yeah, and it's weird. a lot... It feels much more like a real place than the previous games. Which, on one hand, I appreciate that. I always appreciate ver- verisimilitude. But on the other hand, like, I've had slowdown there a lot. And it, it just it seems kind of unnecessarily difficult to traverse. This is the first Splatoon game where I've... Um, I've navigated almost exclusively with the uh, the navigation menu. Yeah, no, there's definitely frame rate drops in in the hub, and like I, I think it's a neat idea, but I don't know if execution ended up being good because yeah, it's like I I honestly don't know where things are most of the time, and just end up having to use the the map and quick travel stuff because um, I wouldn't know where to where to find most of it anyway because it's it's very uh, like everything's kind of like holed away on the wall somewhere randomly around a corner and stuff, which is very realistic uh, in a lot of ways, but is not necessarily the greatest game design, especially because like I say, the frame rate drops all the time and it just acts funny. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's pretty to look <laughs> at and I, I do like trying to figure out where little buddy scrambled off to this time, but um and it looks great yeah. during Splatfest, but um, yeah, it's not the um, it's not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the lobby, it, there, you can now run around and uh, practice in the lobby, and there's a little tr- training area that you can run around in between matches, and that is one of the best improvements to the game I can think of. It's very cool. It's a lot of fun. I like being able to practice with a couple of different weapons and stuff during it. My only real uh, frustration with that is just that, uh, and and you still haven't gotten to experience this as as far as I know, but whenever you're the person who's being invited by the other person, it does not, as far as I can tell, like do a good job of letting you know somebody's invited you. You just like have to be paying attention to a random corner of the room where a ghost of your friend just appears suddenly and you have to go talk to them. But if you're not, like, looking at that corner, there isn't, like, something that's like, oh, you've been invited to play or anything, you know. And I think they can even, sh- the ghost can show up in a couple of different spots. Maybe it's just the different game modes. Maybe just the different game modes have different spots they can be. But I, I, I felt like I never even knew where to look. Uh, and sometimes I would go talk to them and it would be like, oh, you've been invited. And I'd click it and it'd be like, oh, that room's not open anymore. And I'd be like, but you just invited me and you're here i'm so conf- what's happening yeah, that's a that's a that's a real bummer yeah i i know we've had some trouble trying to figure out how to how to actually connect to different rooms but um 
Yeah, it, it definitely beats all, Splatoon it's, it's 1 fun. and 2, which just had you looking at a list of players. And the only thing you could do was like press buttons on the controller to make the background music fluctuate. Oh, yeah, that does not no, sound cool at it's all. Very so this is superior. Um, and also, <laughs> we have lockers now. And that, instead of giving players their own room to decorate, you can now just decorate a locker, which I think is actually a little bit more apropos for the uh, subject matter. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a cool thing. I'm excited to get to do a bunch of decorating now that I have a lot yeah, more are stuff. Are you planning on going with a particular theme? Uh, I don't know. I'll just have to look at, at what I have and, and and what it looks like whenever you're putting things in there. It'll probably be uh, just Yeah, I mess, mean, mine but, is just um, kind of like, I... just for the most part, there's like my mini splatling and some of the clothes I like to put on my character. But the rest of it is a bunch of stuff from, after, from uh, Alterna. Because you get um, the mm-hmm. sun, each sunken scroll gives you a sticker, and so I yeah. have a bunch of like newspaper clippings pasted to the inside of my locker door, and then I have like newspapers and magazines and stuff down there. And I'm I'm trying to go That's for fun. kind of a conspiracy theorist vibe. <laughs> all the pins. Yeah, the I really wish that they they give me the option to like put little pieces of string up there. Maybe in one of the future <laughs> updates. Yep, I'm sure they'll get there eventually. Especially what with the fact that there does seem like there could be conspiracy theories about how the world ended in this Before game. Before we wrap it up, let's talk a little bit about the in-game events. So, uh, what what are your thoughts on Splatfests? I think they're a lot of fun. I've, I've enjoyed them so far. I think the idea of uh, picking an option between three different options and that being your team is a, a cool idea. I think that... Uh, They'll have to do a, a better job in the future of picking things that it's not clear that everyone's going to pick the same thing, maybe. Or maybe that's fine. I don't know. But <laughs> You know, it's, it's interesting because the, the three options is new to Splatoon 3. It used to only be two. So before it would just be like chocolate or vanilla. Yeah, uh, it's you like, know, like, like three different types of chocolate. Ketchup or mustard or dogs versus cats or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and the game always ends like the last Splatfest is always which of your idols is the, your favorite. Ah. <laughs> and okay, those yeah, tend to be that'll very be interesting. <laughs> so yeah. I think this time it's probably going to be Shiver. That seems to be the vibe I get online. Though I don't know, Big Man, he's he's got kind of a dark horse thing going. Yeah, no, I, I could see that. I like Shiver a whole lot, but yeah, Big Man was just enjoyable. Yeah, the the Splatfests, they're, they're always a lot of fun. It has that nice festival environment. Um, now you can get like these little, leading up to it, you can get these little conch shells that you can use on the shell out machine. So it just, it feels like there are a lot more rewards here. Um, there's also like the tricolor battles where you have three teams. Um, like you place one team in the center and it's typically the one who's like in the lead at the halfway point and then you have two members right so it's still only eight players but you have two members from other teams trying to encroach on the center of the map that's yeah pretty cool and it's yeah that's really really hectic it's it's one of those things where i always no matter what team i feel like i always feel like i'm on the uh like i'm just barely holding on <laughs> right and i guess that's good game design if that's the case because that's kind of that's kind of what you want you know you want to feel like you're just you're winning, but it's, it's yeah. Close. So it's it's um really th- those get really hectic, uh, and the other one, and I'm so glad that they included an event for this is Big Run, which is uh, Salmon Run themed, 
And there's only been one so far, but man, I hope they do more. And first of all, I love what it does to the plaza because everything just turns apocalyptic. Uh, the skies are red and like the mood is really, really grim. Yeah, did I, I get to play with you on, on the big run one? I, yeah, I can't you did. Remember, right? did. I think we I did. It was on we, Wahoo we, World. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I, I, I thought that one was really cool. I, I really appreciated getting to do uh, Salmon Run for the Splatfest, and I thought that was that was fun. That was cool. So, yeah, and it, uh, it had, like, a re- weird spooky aesthetic yeah, to it. Yeah, and you got to play cool. um, Salmon Run on what was normally a, um, a multiplayer map. And it's funny, the, the memes for yeah. that one, because it originally was... Uh, that map is not particularly popular for multiplayer. So people were saying, <laughs> oh, they're, you know, it's like, we have to defend Inkopolis. Oh, they're taking Wahoo World? They can keep Wahoo World. And then after, the, <laughs> after that, um, the big run, people actually said that Wahoo World made for a really good Salmon Run map and that they should just add it to Salmon yeah. Run. So that like changed the meaning of the expression, they can keep it. <laughs> Because yeah. it's like, no, please, actually yeah, that's keep great. it. We had more fun with this on, on Salmon Run. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. But, I love it. Um, yeah, I, I really hope that they do another big run soon. So uh, final thoughts, Nathaniel. Um, I think that ultimately it's a really, really good game. I definitely give it a four out of five. Um, easy. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Been, uh, it, it's definitely one of those games where, uh, once, once you get going on it, it's a lot of fun and it, it's kind of got a barrier to entry as far as like skill and like learning how things work. If you haven't been playing since the first one, because there's a lot of weird mechanics that don't carry over from other shooters. But if you get in there, you play the campaign, you, you get, get your feet wet with it and play with some friends or and sticky stuff. As it the really movie. is... Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It really is enjoyable and is definitely worth your time. So especially if you're looking for a good shooter uh, to play with friends and, you know, like the most recent Halo isn't doing it for you and you're not not willing to bear the memes of Fortnite, then this is this is a fantastic game to get into. I, I really yeah, enjoy and it. This is, I, I agree. It, this is... Um just like i said not having to stare at a, a screen while you're matchmaking honestly makes this the best one in the series for me yeah so this is this is probably going to be my new game that i play when i'm just between other games and i just don't know what i feel like playing at the moment like this is going to be my my sort of go-to pick up and play uh time filler yeah, I could definitely see that that for me as well. I'm, I I can't be a hundred percent sure because my my brain is pretty. Uh, it it definitely just does what it wants to do. But so far, I've had had a lot of fun with it. I can yeah, well, see when back I to reach it the like when I beat the game, I there's actually like a period of a week and a half where I don't play any video games because I I have a long list of games in my backlog and it's like uh which one of these, and so having something yeah. that I can kind of use to assuage the the decision paralysis. Um, it would be, um, it is nice. Or yep. where it's just like, okay, I'm just, I'm too tired to play this game, so I'm just going to play something else instead. So, Nathaniel, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel, which is Nathan Blake Games. Um, I do have a Twitch uh, and a Twitter that are mostly defunct at this point. I haven't done anything with them in a long time that are both uh, Nathan Blake Games as well. So you can you Wait, can find me at those places. But uh, Did Elon Musk give you the extra character? 
No, yeah, it, I mean, it, it still has at Nathan Blake game without the S. No, yeah, Elon Musk did not give me the extra character, unfortunately. But, um, you know, maybe I can pay him $5 a month or something and get that. So, uh, I think, yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm not super active anywhere at the moment. Uh, ever since I started my most recent job, which is as a worship minister, I've, I've just been really focusing on that, which has been really, really enjoyable, very fulfilling. Uh, so, but, you know, I... I'll probably get back to those other things at some point as well. So, uh, you know, you can go ahead and follow me those places and you'll probably hear from me from time to time. Yeah. So, And as always, you can follow us on social media at Two Buds and Crew and uh, on YouTube to see podcasts and game reviews and uh, maybe the occasional live stream. And uh, if you are looking for something to do with some friends, other than Splatoon, then uh, why don't you check out my uh, adventure module for the 1D4chan Legend of Zelda RPG Expedition into the Hal-No Woods. It's uh, completely free. It's 48 pages of content, and I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback on it, so check it out. It's uh, over at twobuttoncrew.com, and just search Expedition into the Hal-No Woods. That's H-A-L-N-O to look it up and Download it and the supplements and all that. And uh, if you have any recommendations for episodes that you would, uh, games or just topics in general relating to Nintendo that you would like to see covered here on the podcast, you can leave a comment to uh, this below on YouTube if you're listening to it on YouTube. Or if not, you can email me at glen, that's G L E N, at twobuttoncrew.com. That's T W O B U T T O N C R E w.com I'm not great at spelling so that's always stressful (laughs) (laughs) well thanks for having me on Glenn I appreciate it yeah thanks for being here and thank you all for listening bye sayonara sayonara